Backchat. 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 Politics and current affairs. Backpack. Backchat. Backchat. Your alternative to talk back. Yes, indeed. You are listening to Backchat here on FBI Radio, your freshest wrap of news and current affairs. I'm Swetha Das. And I'm Shami Sivasubramanian. Ah, this week marked the one-year anniversary of the murder of Washington Post journalist Jamal Khashoggi in Saudi Arabia. There was a shooting in the Hong Kong protests, and New South Wales is looking to be the last state to ban plastic bags. But, as always, we'll be bringing you the stories you might not have heard this week. First up, we have Australia for United Nations Refugee Commission board member and former refugee Lynn Dang in the studio. She'll be chatting to us about her recent trip to Uganda and what she believes Australia could learn about refugee policy from the Ugandan government. After that, Swetha's going to chat about something that's really riled her up this week. Um especially when she picked up a celeb mag. I really don't know what's going to happen. We're all going to find out together. <laughs> but as always, we want to hear from you. Tell us the most ridiculous headline you've seen recently. Text us in on 0409945945 or tweet us at BackchatFBI. The, the Australian taxpayer even pays for the toilet paper she uses. Does she go down to the chemist to buy the tampons? Or is the Australian taxpayer paying for those as well? Backchat, your alternative to talk back. According to the UNHCR's 2019 report, there are currently 70 million displaced people around the globe. 80% of them are women and children. And as climate change continues to take effect, those figures are only set to rise. Our guest today, Lin Dang, has just come back from a trip with UNHCR to Uganda to understand the progressive programs they've implemented to support their 1.3 million refugees and what Australia can learn from them. Welcome to the show, Lin. Thanks for having me, guys. Our pleasure. So to begin, tell us about your journey to Australia. Yeah, sure. So I myself am a former refugee. I was born in Vietnam after the Vietnam War, and my father was a soldier in the Vietnamese army. Um, We lost the war at the time. Um, So what happened was my father was sent to re-education camps and labour camps, um, and we had all our assets seized. Uh, So we had to leave the country. We actually left the country uh, amongst many other Vietnamese refugees at the time in the 80s. Um, And we left the country on a boat with my family. I have three sisters, uh, mum and dad, about a hundred of us crammed into a very unseaworthy vessel um, in the middle of the night and travelled along the South China Sea uh, before we actually were fortunate enough to land on a UNHCR camp in Malaysia, the Palau Badong camp. Um, I think I was a toddler at the time, so camp life was really, um, I guess, uncertain um, for a lot of people at the time in the camp. And Eventually, what happened was we were resettled um, in Australia, and I call myself one of the lucky refugees, uh, funnily enough. And since then, I've lived here um, for the last 30 years. As a former refugee, Lynn, what's it been like working in refugee advocacy? Yeah, I think for me, I often say that sometimes the to- the rhetoric around refugees is very toxic and uh, when we talk about it. But actually, I always say that refugees are the people that inspire me the most in the world. Uh, they continue to demonstrate resilience, uh, 
it's so life affirming how they fight for agency and their self determination when there is growing hostility to their existence through citizens or governments of the world as well. Um, so they inspire me, and this is why I took the Uganda trip was just to meet some of the refugees today um, who continue to do this um, despite everything that's happening. So could you tell us a bit more about the trip? Like, why did UNHCR go and who did you go with? Yes, as you mentioned, I sit on the board of UNHCR and one of the things that we wanted to see was just the impact. So uh, Australia for UNHCR is the national partner for UNHCR. We do fundraising and refugee advocacy. Uh, One of the most amazing things, actually, is that in August 2017, uh, we asked our donors to um, help fundraise to open a vacational training centre in one of the refugee settlements in Uganda, and Australians had donated $1.4 million. So as part of this trip, I actually went out to the refugee settlement to open up the vacational centre. The centre itself uh, will... So Chakatu um, settlement has about 100,000 refugees, um, and a lot of them are over 50% actually are children under 18, 80% are women and children. So one of the things that we wanted to do was just uh, think about opening this centre so that they can be trained and have a brighter future. Now, Uganda itself is one of the most progressive countries in terms of refugee uh, policy. So the Ugandan uh, government, and, and Uganda is a landlocked country in Africa, so to its north, there's South Sudan. To its left, uh, there's the Democratic uh, Republic of Congo. And to the south, there's Rwanda. The country itself has over 1.3 million refugees living there right now. And so effectively, what the government, which is the office of the prime minister, uh, does is work together with uh, UN uh, agencies like UNHCR or the World Food Programme and also um, NGOs on the ground to really support these refugees. And when refugees cross over the border into Uganda because of those ongoing conflicts, whether civil war in South Sudan or ethnic um, uh, conflicts and uh, these Congolese um, women, when they cross over, they are then uh, the, the office of the prime minister biometrically registers them. So the retina scanned fingerprints mm. and then refugees have access to education. They have access to social services. They have access. Um, in some cases, the government gives them a plot of land so that they can start doing agriculture. And the reason that the government and the citizens do this is because they see one that if they can empower the refugees to have economic empowerment um, and less uh, self-reliance on aid as well, um, then they are able to integrate into the community. And again, everybody benefits from that, the host communities to the refugees themselves. So you've mentioned that 1.3 million refugees are currently in Uganda and that some of them come from Sudan, some from the the Republic of Congo. Um, uh, Can you give us a bit more information about where these 1.3 million people come from? Yeah, sure. So they, so they are from surrounding those countries. And maybe I can talk to you actually about some of the amazing Congolese women I met when I was there as well um, and just share their stories. So as part of the trip, we also met the Refugee Women's Craft Group, which is a group of women in Kampala. And as part of my work for Australia for UNHCR, what we do is sponsor these livelihood projects. So we went out to meet these women and did a leadership exchange. Um, five years ago, these women had had entered Uganda, uh, and they are from different countries like Rwanda, like um, the Democratic Republic of Congo, like South Sudan. And one of the things, even though they had all these, uh, they had access to, um, you know, starting their own business, they came together and thought, well, how do we actually 
make money to send our children to school. And what they did was very entrepreneurial, as women are in these spaces. What they did was they created a craft making group, and with support from capital from Australia for UNHCR, who fund these livelihood projects, and local NGO, they started. With a group of five women, and now it's grown to thirty-eight women,、um, and they are financially independent. They use the money they make to send their children to school, and I was fortunate enough to to meet、uh, the women and their children because they had organised for me to go and visit、uh, their children's school and talk to them as well.、Um, and I think for me, what it really shows is if you empower a refugee woman, you're transforming her community,、um, and. Now, as new refugees come into the country, these women are taking them on, training them in these craft-making skills, and they make books. And this shirt that I have on is from one of the、uh, amazing refugee women, and key rings that. Yeah, so, <laughs> before、uh, we came on air, you actually gave us these key rings that I'm looking at, and obviously this is an audio medium, so I will describe it. Yes, it、please. is a <laughs>、um, brown beaded key ring,、um, and a, a stunning photo of a woman and a baby.、Um, With I support refugees by UNHCR. Can you tell us a bit more about this? Yes, so、yeah. that is Chantelle. She is actually one of the refugee craft women,、um, and she's the chairperson for this particular group.、Mm-hmm. She's got three children.、Uh, that particular photo was taken a few years back, so I actually got to meet her child, who is five now.、Aww. And much like my child, who is five,、um, Chantelle and I, I often, she's incredible.、Um, a lot of these women come as sole. Uh, providers, so they're single mums as well,、um, and when they were displaced by conflict, and so for us to be able to see that intergenerational impact、mm. that you have as well, now that their children are at school,、um, it's incredible to see. As well, so I think for me, I, I look at someone like Chantel, who is roughly about the same age as myself, and we both have kids at similar age. And I think the only reason that I am here. Sitting where I am in a country like Australia, getting to do the work I do is pure luck, because we have the same aspirations, we have the same hopes for our children, for ourselves, and ambitions. And really, the only thing that separates any of this is that I was just lucky enough to be a refugee thirty years ago, as opposed to now. Yeah, you, yeah, I bet the perspective <laughs> that you learn going to there. Yeah.、Um, What is the state of refugee camps in Uganda, and how does it compare to detention centres in Australia?、Uh, so they're vastly different. Yeah, <laughs> so,、yeah. so the first thing is、um, because of the government policy and, and, and partnering with the UNHCR、um, and the various NGOs, the refugee settlements,、um, people are able to have access to education.、Um, I, I had some trepidation going to the refugee settlement because it's been thirty years since I've been in a camp,、yeah. and I was sitting in the UN convoy as we were driving out there to open this vocational training centre. So there's about five co- UN vehicles driving into, and we're following、um, the Deputy High Commissioner for Australia, Jonathan Bohr, because he's part of the proceedings. And I, you know, I'm. I just went into a space where I could just think about what is, what does this mean. Um, and I think I have a very connected view of the world. I think you know it. It felt like full circle from coming from a refugee camp thirty years ago, and then going to these refugee settlements、um, and seeing how refugees live today.、Um, and it's incredibly inspiring that the government and the local communities have embraced refugees、um, and support them, and think about you know. How we can provide a brighter future, and this vocational centre is not only for refugee children, but local children too,、uh, will attend it. 
and also then they have these skills that take them into the future and despite the circumstances that they were born into, they're going to have hope and that to me is very inspiring. You're listening to Backchat on FBI Radio 94.5 FM with Swetha Das and Shami Sivisabramanyam. We are speaking to Lynn Dang from Australia for UNHCR about how Australia could learn a few things about how to treat the refugees. Um, so since many of the people in refugee camps in Uganda are internally displaced, the Ugandan government's relationships with agencies like the UN actually serve to help the very people that the government is persecuting. What is that dynamic like? Yeah, it's, you know, it's frankly, it's very different from here in Australia. I know before I went out to Uganda, I was talking to um, my five-year-old about the Sri Lankan Tamil family that's in Christmas Island at the moment and trying to explain to her what's happening there. And I, and I really couldn't because to me, like, it's four people. And then I went to Uganda and I see 1.3 million people and I think... Australia is such a lucky country. Mm. You know, we can and we should do more. And if any of the policies are involve locking children up in detention centres, I think we've done something incredibly wrong in terms of um, where, we're, where we are with policy and where we're headed. So I think there is a lot that we could learn um, about that. Um, yeah. Lynn, I'm just going to ask you, um, for the sake of our listeners, uh, to describe the difference between a refugee and someone who is internally displaced? Yeah, so in the latest UN report, there's over 70 million displaced people. Um, 30, uh, Roughly 30 million are refugees or asylum seekers and 40 million are internally displaced. So refugees leave their home country um, and generally are living in camps waiting to be either resettled or for the conflicts from home to go back to their home country. Internally displaced people are still within their home country, but they just can't go back to their actual home and regular day-to-day life. So a big topic, uh, a massive topic right now is climate change. Yes. Uh, I'm sure you've heard about it. Uh, <laughs> but, we, <laughs> but we don't often link uh, the refugee crisis to the climate crisis, but there is a connection. Is that right? Yeah, there's a massive connection, actually. Um, you know, this week, I mean, there are estimates that there will be millions displaced through climate change. And in fact, it's already happening. Uh, for example, I was born on the Mekong Delta um, in Vietnam. And this week I was watching a uh, BBC documentary just on the current um, state at the moment with the Mekong Delta and people having fishing villages having to move into the city just because they don't have that livelihood to support them. So it is already happening. It is already displacing people and inaction will displace more millions of people. Like we are, we are late and we need to have action now. I want to thank you so much for coming on and sharing your amazing stories from Uganda. I guess to finish off, I'd love to know from you, you know, who are some of the people you met that really shook uh, your perception of Uganda before you went? Oh, I guess your perception of refugees before you went. Okay. It's an interesting question because I, I always think like, um, because I'm a former refugee, I'm probably pretty woke, right? <laughs> you yeah, think, you'd hope, you'd hope. <laughs> um, I think there were incredible people I met and maybe I'll tell the story of uh, one refugee child. So, like I said, we went to um, an infant school where the women, the refugee women's craft group uh, children were at and, and it was an incredibly incredible privilege to actually meet their children and see the impact they were ha- that they were having for their children and the um, hope that they were providing for them. 
um, and the incredible work of like donors who have supported that here in Australia as well. But I remember going out to their school and the head, uh, they call it the head boy, which is really just the school captain, came to speak to us. And I was speaking to him beforehand, and he's a South Sudanese boy called Titus. Um, and I thought, wow, he's very tall, and I'm a very short person. <laughs> you know, I wonder how old he is. He does look a bit older um, than a regular primary school um, child. And he got up to speak and shared his incredibly harrowing story mm. uh, of the war in South Sudan and um, who he had lost as part of that journey and how fortunate he felt to be in Uganda now. He wants to be an engineer or air traffic controller when he grows up. And I think for, for me, um, afterwards, I found out that he was 21 years old. Wow. 21. Wow. And he had missed so much of his schooling um, because of the conflict and but he's so incredibly grateful that he has this opportunity now to become an engineer. So for me, it's never too late. Mm. It's never too late, um, despite his age. So I am incredibly inspired by refugees, but someone who has had so much hardship in his life and he's still trying to be reunited with his brother who was still um, in South Sudan. But to have that incredibly clarity and drive mm. to make something of himself and also to want to help others. That's the story I take with me. Um, and also that refugees are more than just refugees. They're children who, who want to learn, who want to do these incredible things. Um, so that's the story I bring. Refugees are just people who face these extraordinary circumstances. Um, and if we want a more peaceful and compassionate world, it really starts with how we treat the most vulnerable people in our world. So you've taught us all these ama amazing stories. How can we all help? Yeah, so if you want to learn more, obviously, about the trip, um, please follow me on any of my socials. Um, you can also go to unrefugees.org.au, which is the Australia for UNHCR website, which you can learn more about um, some of these refugees and some of the work that we do in countries all over the world as well, or if you want to learn more about Uganda. Anyway, thank you so much for being on the show with us, Lynn. We've had a, like, we've had a wonderful time with you here. Thank you so much for having me. That was former refugee Lynn Dang, board member for Australia for UNHCR and head of talent acquisition at Microsoft Australia, talking to us about her recent trip to Uganda and how Australia could take some pointers from Uganda when it comes to refugee policy. But stay tuned because after this song, Swetha's got a bone to pick. Yes, that's right. I have a bone to pick and I will tell you all about it. <laughs> what is that bone I'm going to pick? After this track, I know all of you guys are having major FOMO, not going to listen out. Um, I don't really envy them because it's raining, um, but I am going to play a track from Cosmos Midnight. This is history. Thanks for listening, guys. The, the Australian taxpayer even pays for the toilet paper she uses. Does she go down to the chemist to buy the tampons, or is the Australian taxpayer paying for those as well? Back chat, your alternative to talk back. It's usually a good thing when it is a slow news week because it means that not too many huge, terrible things have happened that we have to cover the news. Um, but you know what? I need to constantly fill my life with stories. So I decided to pick up a magazine at my local cafe and I pick it up. Um, it's called New Idea. Has oh anyone heard of it? I think um, our audience is a bit too woke for New Idea. And I was flicking through it, um, and I found out that Victoria Beckham and David Beckham are um, having a divorce. Again? Um, yeah, for the fifth time, apparently. Okay, I see. Um, Britney's back. 
That's what I found oh, out. Wonderful. And Brad Pitt is now Kanye West's new act, um, acting coach. And I was reading these stories and I was like, wow, why hasn't our exec producer asked us to cover these stories on Backchat? Because yeah, come these on, are Matt. huge stories. And I realized that in a world, in Australia particularly, where Jeffrey Rush can win his defamation lawsuit, where Rebel Wilson can win a defamation lawsuit, where as journalists, my friends are scared to report on real stories because... No, because the defamation laws here are so strict. How do magazines like New Idea, um, Women's Weekly report on all these mental stories every single week? And so that is my bone I want to pick today. So we're asking our viewer, um, our listeners to text in 0409-945-945 or tweet us at Backshot FBI. What are some of the craziest headlines you have seen recently? Um, we actually have our exec producer here in the studio today because... I'm pretty mad <laughs> that we haven't covered this on Backchat. Kanye West is going to become an actor and Brad Pitt is coaching Yeah, it's it. crazy. And I was looking at the same magazines <laughs> before. And I think in one magazine, they also had another story about Brad Pitt. And apparently he was now seeing Jennifer Aniston. And then in the uh, other magazine you bought, he was seeing like four different girlfriends in like a month. And I was like... How how, <laughs> how do you juggle that? The, honestly, I'm just like from a logistical standpoint, I'm a little bit blown away. I'm shocked. Um, Kim Kardashian, her boobs are exploding. Yeah, that was that was a really weird story. Okay. <laughs> apparently, the, apparently the Kardashians are opening a Botox clinic, a Botox resort. We don't actually resort. know if that's true. Let's that's, just qualify. No, no, that. sorry, sorry, sorry. Do not sue me. Any of these stories are true. Let's start with that. But. Um, so I've actually got a quiz for you guys. So oh. I've got I've got four four different celebrity rumors yes. and you're going to have to these are actually real rumors but you're going to have to but not real stories not real stories Maybe. so you're going to have to decide whether they're true or false okay so let's kick kick into it and Oof. if you're listening along you can play along too. please text in let us know so the first one is jennifer lopez insured her butt jennifer lopez i ooh. I, feel, I know that there are definitely celebs out there who have insured parts of their body. I think she has. But her butt? Yeah. I, yeah. Have you seen Hustlers, the trailer that she's in? The new... Um, I've seen her walk down um, the... What was it? The Versace line? Yeah, the Versace um, with her green dress. She did like a redo of it. Like it's been 20 years since she wore the green dress and she did it. So you're going for true? Yes. Yes. Apparently it's false. Oh! She's come out and said, Why no, she hasn't. Why did I go with my gut? <laughs> Damn it. <laughs> Moving on to the second one. This one's pretty interesting. So Paris Hilton once built a two-story villa with a crystal chandelier and balcony worth $325,000 for her dogs. Yeah, that sounds believable. 325 sounds too little. No, no, it sound, that's why it sounds so believable, Ooh, though. Okay, okay, yes, true. It's because true. So it also had air conditioning, <laughs> heating, and designer furniture. Yeah, <laughs> it sounds like pocket change for her. Yeah, I'd do it. Oh, my Lord. Third one. If I had that money. So Australian researchers have named a species of horse flies after Beyonce. So um, someone just... <laughs> <laughs> wow. Someone just texted in and said, can I stay with Paris Hilton's dog? <laughs> uh, um, so a species of fly. Yeah. A species of fly named after Beyonce. <laughs> I'm sorry. I can't breathe. <laughs> I'm like, yep, I'd like to say that. I'm done now. <laughs> true. It's true. So in 2012, Australian researchers called a species Scapsia Beyonce. I don't know if I got that right but wow she's made it yeah, can you imagine being beyonce it. you've like completely changed um the hip-hop and r&b scene and then there's a fly named after you amazing pretty much and then final one Cher has had some ribs removed to 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 oh. look thinner 
Probably. I, ooh, I don't think... False. Mm. False. Cher does not... I don't think... Cher's done a lot. Cher's done a lot. But I don't think she's done that. I know Janet Jackson has, at least according to another tabloid I've read. So... It's false. That's yeah. right. Yeah. She actually sued the magazine. So there was a magazine called Paris Match back in 1988. She sued them for making up the rumor. How interesting. Well, you know what? Someone texted in and they said the reason why these magazines can cover the stories that they do is because they actually have a budget for being sued. Oh. That's insane. That's insane. <laughs> so the money that they make, they must make so much profit from these headlines that they have a budget for being sued. That's incredible. That's incredible. Yeah, that's a business model we should all get behind. Hey, no. <laughs> <laughs> Let's start it from now on. <laughs> Come sue us. Right, anyway. Please don't sue us. <laughs> on that note, um, that is all we have for the show today. I want to thank our wonderful producers, Natalie Sekolovska and Pip Leeson. And thanks again to our wonderful guest, Lynn Dang. Thanks for coming on the show. Thank you, everyone. Uh, before we go, we have a track, don't yes, we? Yes, we have a track. Um, I'm going to play Oh My God uh, by Sampa the Great. We're big fans of her. Um, catch you all next week, guys. Thank you so okay. much. Bye.